even though we have all uh, rebelled against our Father Creator, and we have disregarded His commands, actually disregarded them to the point where we are we're all we were all considered to be His enemies, even though we are created by Him, and all that good stuff that we were because of the way we think and the way we act, his enemies. God, of course, as we discussed, is graciously willing to offer everyone forgiveness and reconciliation, including you and me. And some have taken him up on that offer and some not yet. He makes peace with us so that we are no longer to be considered his enemies. And he grants us access which is a big deal. We have access to him and to partake of his divine nature through the Holy Spirit in us and eternal life, the hope, the goal, if you will. And all of this happens or can start and get going because of God's forgiving nature. <coughs> That's how he is. That's who he is. That's how he thinks. That's how he interacts with others. And his loving desire to see us develop to our full potential, if you will. Namely, one, that we grow into the fully mature mind of Christ Jesus. Two, (coughs) that we receive life everlasting. Growing into the fully mature mind of Christ, of course, that means that we have to change the way we think. And this is somewhat of a recap of of last week, so I'm just going to go through this quickly. Bear with me. Changing the way we think, to think with the mind of the Spirit. So growing into the fully mature mind of Christ means that we have to change the way we think. To think with the mind of the Spirit rather than the mind of the flesh. Of course, again, this is a recap of what we discussed last week. And changing the way we think means we change the way we act. Uh, That we live by his commands and we do the things that are pleasing to him. If we don't make these changes, we will never move forward and never receive that gift of everlasting life. We get started on this process, but we really need to go the whole way, and we should want to. To indicate our willingness and determination to do this and to be committed to it, we pass through the waters of baptism and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit which dwells in you and makes this all possible. And God's willingness to reconcile with you and his willingness to reconcile with me is an example that he wants us to imitate in our lives. To make peace, to be friends instead of enemies, to forgive and be reconciled to one another. Now with that said, I'm going to go through some more detailed kind of hands-on information on that. And I want to start off with a, with a kind of a warning, all right, or a caveat, if you want to call it that. <laughs> in most ways, in most ways, we imitate God in his pursuit of reconciliation and making peace. But with one very important difference, there is one way that we do not imitate God. We don't. Do what God does. And he warns us about it, too. He says, don't do that. I hope I've got your... uh, hope you're interested now. 
Okay, well, what, what, in what way should I not be like or try to imitate God, my Father, Creator? God is the righteous, the all-knowing, the all-merciful Creator. And He requires all humans to change the way we think and act. But we cannot require that of others. And that's a big difference. He can require that. He can say, you know, we're going to go through this process of, re- of reconciliation, but you need to change the way you think. You need to change the way you act. You need to do things differently, and I'm going to show you how. Now, as a human being, go try that. <laughs> no, we don't do that. And that, to me, is a very important way that we do not imitate God our Father. And we'll get around to the ways in which we do, but I want to throw that out there right off because the process of reconciliation requires a certain kind of holding back, if you will, what you hold back and what you put forth. We'll go through that, I hope, in in good detail. But we cannot require repentance, really, or change of behavior from other people. We can try it. I don't think you're going to be very satisfied with the results. And it probably won't lead you to very successful reconciliation patterns in your life. We must offer forgiveness to our fellow human beings, and especially one another within the body of Christ. We must offer forgiveness to one another without any requirement or expectation that the other party, oh, that they confess or that they repay, or that they change. And that is hard. That is very difficult. You may have a question in your mind. I think this rumbles through all of our minds at one point or another and probably never really shuts up and we have to keep pushing it down. But should I then, are you saying, are you saying that I should forgive a person and then go on as if nothing ever happened? To just pretend that nothing ever happened. It just, well, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Well, I'll answer that question um, short form first and then long form later. Short answer, forgiveness does not mean ignoring or erasing God's standards of right and wrong, which is an unfortunate path that uh, all too often people take because their way of dealing with this conundrum of not being able to require people to change or anything like that is to say, well, it doesn't matter. Who cares? What difference does it make? I don't think about stuff like that. Or however people you know, work it out in their minds to come to the point where you say, well, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And that's how we get along by just reaching the point where we say, well, nothing really matters, so whatever. That is not the answer either. Forgiveness does not mean ignoring or erasing God's standards of right and wrong. Forgiveness does mean that you and I give up some stuff. We have to give things up. Of course, you know, any kind of deal, if you will, and reconciliation, I suppose, could be looked at as a deal, involves giving something up, you know, hopefully getting something, but, you know, giving something up definitely. But forgiveness does mean that you and I need to give up some stuff. And we will get some stuff. And I'll, I'll 
get to that. But it, it's not the satisfaction of the other party confessing <laughs> or repaying the debt they owe you or anything like that. But there are benefits. Forgiveness does mean that you and I give up our need to, first, I would say, be declared um, or proven or acknowledged to be right. You were right. I mean, that's, that's, we want that, right? We want to, yeah, I was right. and Everybody needs to know I was right. Well, to really get the benefits of forgiveness, we have to be willing to give that up. I'm not saying you can't ever, ever have it, but you have to be willing to give it up. We also need to be willing to give up the need that we have. I, I think this is very much a part of, of all of us to be approached rather than to approach, right? When something's gone wrong, well, they need to, you know, he needs to come to me. I am just going to sit here and wait until they just, they see it and they come to me and they ask me my forgiveness and then everything will be right. Does that sound like a plan for success to you? (laughs) I think not. So we have to kind of give that up. We have to give up this need to be, you know, have people come to us and, you know, bow down or whatever it is going on in our minds. We also have to give up, this is similar, we have to give up some of our emotional needs. You know, that I, I need you to satisfy my, my emotional need to, oh, I can't even think of, of a good one. I've, I've got it later in my notes. But we have to give up our emotional neediness that uh, you need to make me happy. Like I talked about in the previous sermon, the idea that uh, your purpose in life is to make me happy. We have to give that up. Another one is uh, we have to give up our need to control the situation. And uh, we want to control the situation because it makes us feel safe and secure. I think that some of us, it's a part of you know being in charge and on top of other people. And it, But it all boils down to control, control issues, which we talked about in the last message. So we have to give that up. Our need, desire, whatever, to control situations and control other people. For example, uh, as I kind of mentioned, if we were to obsess about getting an apology. You know, if if no forgiveness were ever given without an apology, there'd be a whole lot less forgiveness in this world. Uh, or, you know, sometimes apologies are pretty lame, right? So I want to control the tone of the apology. And I'm not going to buy it until you say it like you mean it. Ever since, right? You know, when you've got children, that really comes out. You need to tell him you're sorry. I'm sorry. Well, that just didn't sound very sincere. <laughs> well, I did. So to control the tone of the apology, and I'm using children as an obvious and humorous example, but I think with adults it's, you know, got the potential to be the same way. Well, I'm sorry that you misunderstood me. (laughs) Not much of an apology. Uh, Or if we were to obsess about uh, punishment, you know, this person needs to pay for what they've done. Uh, How severe does that punishment need to be for the crime committed or whatever? How swiftly must this punishment be enacted? How public must this punishment be? These are all ways that we want things to go our way, to meet our emotional needs, to control situations, to have it our way, and to be declared right. We have to give a lot of that stuff up. 
I'm not saying you can never have any of that stuff or that some of that stuff isn't the right thing to happen, but you can't make it happen. And you have to kind of back off and give up a lot. Forgiveness also means that we desire emotional peace. That sounds kind of soft and fuzzy, but it's actually very important. Emotional peace. We might, we, I think, I, I, maybe you're different um, than me, but I, I believe that very often we collectively, each of us, we think of forgiveness as something that we give to another person. Right? I'm going to give you my forgiveness. Of course, that comes off all wrong, right? Well, I forgive you. That we give someone our forgiveness. Sometimes people care. Sometimes they care. Most often, they don't really care. That's just the way we are. That's the way people are. Sometimes they want your forgiveness. Most often, they don't really care. A lot of times, people don't even know anything about what it is that you're forgiving them for, except that you have a frowny face on all the time or whatever, or you're keying their car or whatever crazy thing you're doing. But a lot of times, people, they don't even know. But if an offense has occurred and you or I am withholding forgiveness for whatever reason, whatever one of those emotional reasons we've mentioned, if something's happened and you or I are withholding forgiveness, the other party doesn't suffer. You suffer. You suffer. And I... I could say a lot about that. Maybe I will because I've got some extra time, I guess. I remember I've been doing this for 31, 32 years now. And uh, this message has always been part of what the church teaches in one way, shape, or form. And I remember a sermon I heard probably 30 years ago about this when this guy, he was really good at making this point about forgiveness being something to heal him. He had real big issues with his uh, family. There was a lot of abuse and stuff like that. So he had all these you know, grinding issues going away inside him. <clears throat> and he talked about forgiveness in that light. And he made the point really well to me about forgiveness made him feel better. The person who had abused him was a, one of his family members. And it wasn't sexual. It was something else. They didn't even really know about it, you know? And his forgiving this other person didn't really change that other person's life, but it changed his life. It was something that he benefited from. And that's, that's what I'm getting at when I say forgiveness means that we desire emotional peace. Forgiveness is, if you want to be selfish about it, forgiveness is all about me. <laughs> it seems counterintuitive, but forgiveness really is something that happens for you, in you, and so forth. Now, when we don't forgive, we'll take a look at what we, when we don't forgive and when we do forgive. When we don't forgive, there are two bad things that happen to us. They happen to us when we don't forgive. The first, which we talked at more at length last week, we create a barrier between ourselves and God, our Father Creator. 
when we don't forgive, there's this little big, probably, wall, this barrier that goes up between ourselves and God. And there are lots of reasons for that. One that I thought of is God does not like pride. And pride is usually the root, the underlying reason that forgiveness is withheld. And pride has a way of of showing its face in many different masks, but it's always the same. And this very real barrier between you and your Father Creator is a problem. But who is it a problem for? It's a problem for you. Again, it's not the other person who's going to suffer because of this. If you withhold forgiveness, this wall goes up. I think you'll get smart. And you're separated from God. The other person, they just, you know, they might just be, they have no idea. They're whistling a happy tune as they walk down the sidewalk. But you have got this problem. Now, some offenses involve violation of God's law. Some offenses involve violation of God's law. I don't have the actuary tables on this. I'm just going to go with what I think I know. Some offenses involve God's law. Most don't. Most offenses between people don't involve infractions or violations of God's law. Instead, they often are matters of misunderstanding. When something is said in such a way that the other person didn't really get it the way you meant it. Or hurt feelings that you've touched a nerve in someone's life that you don't even really know about. Or let's put it back on you. Someone has touched a nerve or pushed a button with you that they didn't. You know, they didn't know you had a problem with, with chocolate chip cookies. They didn't mean to offend you. Now, clearly, you know, that wouldn't offend everyone, but they didn't know that you had that problem, and so they bring it up, and then you just, you have a reaction to them. And, you know, I won't go through too many scenarios because that actually narrows it. I'll let you think about it. Um, very often, offenses are matters of pride or frustration, you know, if someone becomes like an obstacle in your path to you getting where you want to go, right? Either way, either way, whether it's a violation of God's law or whether it's just a violation of your sense of personal pride, uh, you know, obstacle to my objectives, hurt feelings, whatever. Either way, withholding forgiveness hurts your relationship with your father God. I said there were two bad things that happened. Okay, the second one. This one, I, I want you to chew on this one. and Because this, this one really relates back to that guy I was telling you about with his sermon and the abuse and all that. The other bad thing that happens when we withhold forgiveness is that we, you, me, become trapped in reliving and reliving and reliving that emotional moment of the offense. Every time you bring to memory that incident or that conversation or whatever it was, you relive the same emotional response. 
you, you, you bring it up, you know, you dredge it up in your mind and it becomes alive and active and the neurons are firing and the, the memories are reshaped. Every time you think about something, you reshape the memories. And I think in incidences where we are uh, dealing with offense, they get worse. If you've been offended, you can relive it again. It gets worse and worse and worse every time you bring it up. As you, you know, you, you're reliving it. You're reliving the pain over and over and over again. Like Groundhog Day, you wake up every day just living it all over again. And that's terrible. Because, you know, knowing how the mind works, you're probably making it even more intense every time you bring it up and think about it. Another problem with that is that you know, if we're trapped in this cycle, as the emotional pain builds and reinforces itself, our desire to be declared right or for the other party to be punished or things like that becomes even stronger. So that desire to get those things that I just said we have to give up becomes even stronger because we're reliving it in our mind. It's just the way our minds work. At least that's the way mine works. Other people I've talked to. Okay, when we do forgive, something a little more positive for a change here. When we do forgive, two good things happen to us. Two good things happen to us when we choose to forgive. The first is that we have peace with the other party. Even if they don't know about it. I mentioned the idea of, you know, I've offended you and you forgive me, but I don't even know about it. I'm just walking down the street, you know, whistling my happy tune, and I never even knew that I had offended you, and I didn't really even care. And you forgave me. And, you know, you said, well, I'm not going to hold that against him. Um, then we have peace again. Now, clearly there are times when, you know, I've offended you and I know all about it, and we'll talk about that as well. But you have peace with the party either way. And this provides you or me, the one who's doing the forgiving, with emotional peace, which is good. It's a good thing. And then two, the other good thing that happens when we forgive is that we have peace with God, our Father and Creator, who wants us and tells us and instructs us to forgive one another, just as I, he, has forgiven us. He says, look, this is the way I want you to be. And so we have peace with God. I mentioned that I was going to start off with a very important way that we do not imitate God. And we went through that. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we do follow God's example. It's not terribly complicated. God initiates peace and reconciliation with you and me through Jesus Christ. You then pay it forward. So God does this wonderful thing for you and me, and then you and I pay it forward. And this is pleasing to God. As he has told us, you know, we follow the Holy Spirit and do things that are pleasing to him. This is pleasing to God when we do this. And it is also something that is necessary for maintaining that peace and reconciliation that we have achieved, or he has achieved, with us. To forgive is to give up the need to control other people, demand an apology, to see that they're truly, truly sorry. Um, to forgive is to give up the need for personal vengeance, all right? 
that they are punished as much as we think they should be. And both of these we give over to God. So we, in, we imitate God in that we initiate peace, we seek peace, we make peace, but we give these things over to God. So, you know, I mentioned there's ways that we don't follow God, and we talked about, or I talked briefly about the idea that we give up the need for satisfaction, really, you know, that this person gets what they deserve. We give that over to God for many reasons. There are really good reasons why we give that over to God our Father. And if we were having a, an open discussion format, I'd, I'd throw it out there. And I think you'd all give me the, the right answers because I think that we learn this. We learn this a lot in, in the Church of God. There are two big reasons why we give these over to God. One is that we are unable to judge with perfect justice and mercy. If you think about your wrongdoings, things where you've missed the mark, who do you want to be the person judging you? Well, other people can be a real problem. If you've offended someone, some flesh and blood person, would you put your life in their hands? Would you put your head on the chopping block and say, do what you will? I don't know. I think that human beings are tricky business. And sometimes the head needs to be chopped and sometimes it doesn't. But we don't really know that. So we give these things over to God. I'm using a very extreme example, of course. So our, un- our inability to judge with perfect justice and mercy. You balance those two out, justice and mercy. Because sometimes justice needs to be served. And sometimes mercy is the way to go. God is the one who really gets it. And we're just learning. The other thing is that we very often have a lack of perfect or complete knowledge. And there are many times when we've learned about, oh, well, some court case that was settled years ago and they found new evidence and they've decided that, you know, this guy was actually innocent or this guy was actually really guilty. And, you know, the court had made their decision and they, they tried their best to, um, to, to do what was right, but they didn't know. They didn't have all the facts. But when it comes down to life or death issues, sin, offense, fixing our relationship with God, fixing our relationship with other people on that deep emotional level, God's the only one who really knows everything that's going on, all those motivations and things that are driving us. Turn to Romans 12. Let's read verses 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, you do your part. You do your part. And you leave the rest to God. Our part is to seek peace, and that's a key phrase, to seek peace.
peace, to go after it. Like, I want that. To seek peace rather than waiting passively or passive-aggressively for it to come to you. Be a peacemaker. A peacemaker. Neither can you demand peace. Well, I, we're going to have peace. You have to make it. You have to make it. You have to make it happen. And it says here, you know, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And I think we interpret that very often in a very literal sense. And we think of, you know, some enemy guy with a sword and a shield coming to our door saying, can I have a snack? And you give him some food. Well, no. And your enemy, like we talked about offense, all right? So maybe I offended you. I'm just making this up because I don't think I have. I hope not. Let's say I'm the one who's done this thing. I've offended your pride or whatever. And you're steaming mad about it. And I'm just, and I have no idea what's going on. Right? We're enemies because, you know, you're bent out of shape. Clearly your fault. No. Um, but the idea is that we're not at peace. All right? So we are enemies. And no sin's really involved. It's an emotional issue a lot of times, something like that. But we're enemies. We're, we're, uh, I'm your enemy, right? Because, but I'm blithely ignorant of the whole thing. But we're kind of enemies, right? On an emotional level. And your part, your part is to feed me, to do good to me, right? Let's think of it on a more personal level like that, rather than, you know, like cartoon level enemies. You do good to me, right? That's your, your part. That's the, to me, that's the reality of, of how this would actually work. You know, be kind to your enemies. I don't think we're talking about, you know, parachuting into North Korea and handing out donuts. We're talking about how we deal with one another. What about when you are the offended party? And we'll talk about the, what the offended party needs to consider. And then we'll take a look at what the offending party needs to consider. Okay? First, let's take a look at the offended party. So this is kind of more along the lines of what we've been talking about so far. But these are how the offended party might want to deal with the situation. And remember, I'm trying to kind of cut down the middle here about offenses where some, some are violations against God's law and some are just emotional issues that feed into our past or our self-image and things like that. So as the offended party, ask yourself some hard questions. Ask yourself some hard questions like, well, why am I offended? <laughs> why am I offended? Why, is it, why do I feel this way? Why is this going on in my head? Is it, um, is it an, an insult to my sense of dignity uh, or my ego? Is it a frustration of my personal desires? Uh, you know, maybe I want a promotion at work and this person has just messed things up for me and I am really ticked. I'm steamed about this. Um, personal desires, esteem from others. You know, now people are going to think I'm a real schmuck. And this, this person has caused these things to happen where others are now going to look down on me. That makes me upset. 
my, my sense of superiority, um, you know, the idea, well, I, I'm entitled to that. I deserve that. Of course, I'm me. I've worked hard for this. Whatever. You could also ask yourself, is it an emotional overreaction? Um, perhaps based on incomplete facts. That happens in human interaction. There's stuff going on that you didn't know about. They didn't know about. You could also ask, what part have I played in creating the problem? Turn to Matthew 7. Hard stuff from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. Jesus' own instruction says to us, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Again, think of this um, think of this not just as a way that we deal with people who have like violated God's law. Well, I caught you sinning. Oh yeah, well you better get the plank out of your own eye and deal with your own sins before you come at me with any of your complaints about my sins. Let's think about it in relation to these other ways that people can get offended. My pride, my emotional reaction and things like that, and then apply that, Matthew 7, yeah, well, okay, mm, on the emotional playing field, I guess I was there on the field as well, and I was doing stuff as well. What was I doing, and how did I contribute to this, and how can I deal with myself as well? That would be a way that we might take that plank out of our own eye. And I, I, I don't know, I just think that on, on many levels, we tend to over- Simplify in some ways, uh, but also over-escalate these instructions from Christ that they are all about monumental issues of, of justice and righteousness and sin and non-sin. But they're also about other issues that are emotional, like pride and ego and things like that. We might especially ask, okay, is this a legitimate offense, if you will? Is this based on God's standards? Or is it based on my standards? So as someone who's been offended, all right, I'm offended by this. Is, this. is this offense based on God's standards or mine? That's a tough question. A few steps to take. Practical stuff. We've got four steps here. One, two, three, four. For those of you who like lists. The first one is take the initiative. The second one is to be wary of personal anger. The third is to not spread discontent. The fourth, to pursue humility. Let's go back to number one. Take the initiative. Well, hopefully this doesn't require a lot of elaboration because this is what we've been talking about quite a bit last week and this week. That is God's example for you and me to take the initiative. You know, be the peacemaker. That doesn't mean that you become confrontational. 
And every time you feel some offense that you you rush up to the other person and you you, know, you grab them by the tie and you say, you know, I'm offended. We need to resolve this. Be careful when you, uh, when you are interacting with other people that you do not become confrontational. Just a little bit of practical advice. Um, be careful about how you take the issue to the other party. Remember you are seeking peace, not satisfaction. You are seeking peace. And you have to be willing to let a lot of stuff go to get this, this peace. Okay, the second was to be wary of personal anger. To be wary of personal anger. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, if you would. Verse 26. Uh, I've got the NIV. And it says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. I believe in the King James it says, Be angry but do not sin. So a little different take you could get on them. Okay? Be angry but do not sin. Let's go with that one. Um, let's say that your anger is righteous anger. When you've got a good cause, because this is a real offense based on God's standards. Okay? Let's say it's righteous anger over a moral principle. That's great. But we also need to remember that most of our anger is not that. Most of our anger is ego-driven. Uh, our assumed rights have been violated, our self-image threatened, pride been hurt. Um, righteous anger, righteous anger is short-lived, and it doesn't lead to retaliation. Those are aspects of righteousness that would flow right in with righteous anger. It doesn't linger, and it doesn't hang on to the anger and it doesn't retaliate because we give those things over to God in righteousness. And that's a good, a good thing. Uh, you know, Short-lived, no retaliation because retaliation is probably a major place where sin, your own personal sin, can creep into the equation. So that would be dangerous and bad. Um, a righteous person is not a person who is looking for a fight. That's just part of being righteous. You're not looking for a fight. Write down a few uh, verses here to look up later. Proverbs 11, verse 23, 14, verse 29, 16, verse 32, 19, verse 19. I was waiting for someone to shout out bingo there. A righteous person is not looking for a fight. Holding on to anger, holding on to anger, where you know, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get rid of it. Deal with it. Get over it, I guess. Uh, there's a biblical phrase for someone who hangs on to anger. It's someone who's bitter. Bitterness is the fruit. Bitter is the fruit of holding on to anger. That's bitterness. You might want to look at bitterness in Scripture. Bitterness is hanging on to anger. I'm sure it's got other things it could be, but I think that it's uh, unresolved anger. Unresolved anger. The third, the third thing to consider is don't spread discontent. Why does this come into play? Well, when you've been wronged, and something's happened to you and you've been wronged, you want to share. 
<laughs> you want to talk about it with other people. Because if you think about the other emotional issues that I discussed earlier, you are looking for vindication. You want other people to agree with you that, you, well, you were right. Yeah. They really, yeah. You're right. That's what you're seeking, right? So you're going out there and you're like, you know, you're trying to gather allies or friends or whatever you're trying to do. And you're seeking to be proven right, right? It's just part of how we are. It's part of how we are. We want to be justified in ourselves. It's part of that mind of flesh. Now, seeking advice and counsel from close and trusted people is one thing. There is a time and a place to talk to people that you know and love and trust. But all too often, you know, be careful of even that. Because all too often, uh, we'll open it up to pretty much anybody who's willing to listen. You know, like we stand by the door. Hey, you know what? You want to know my story? I mean, that's clearly out there. But anyone who will listen, I will bring up, I will dredge up this whole mess. And of course, then we're doing the thing I talked about earlier, which is reliving the moment, getting even madder and madder and madder. So be careful. It's a natural desire to get our side of the story out there first. And the biblical word for that is backbiting. In the King James. Uh, we're in Ephesians, so let's take a look at Ephesians 4, uh, 29 through 32. Where, as far as talking about stuff, we're told, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their, according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you so don't spread discontent number four pursue humility this, is, this could be part of almost every message we ever give about any topic. <laughs> Pursue humility. Easy to say, hard to do. Pursue humility. Life is not about winning. Life is about learning. If you have the perspective that seeks first the kingdom of God, I think you, you would agree with that. Life is not about winning because it's all going to go away. It's about learning. So pursue humility. Okay. What about when you are the offending party? When you're the one who's done wrong. Or who's done the wrong. You are the offender. Now clearly that means, you know, if you're going to put any of this into play, you, you need to be aware of it. So I guess, you know, the other person might have come to you. Or maybe you're just self-aware and you can tell because they're making a frowny face at you all the time now. You know something's wrong. All right, you're the offender. However you get to that point, you know, you realize that you're the offender. Turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 6 through 9. Red letters, Jesus himself teaching on affecting other people says, if anyone causes one of these little ones 
those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they do come. Jesus has very uh, strong words for those of us who cause others, and he says, especially those who believe. Actually, he doesn't even say especially. He says, those who believe in me. He has very strong words for those who cause others to give up or mess up or however you want to say it. Stumble doesn't really mean a whole lot these days. So I'll say mess up, give up. You blow them out of the water. And he's talking about brethren, I believe, here. He's talking about how people within the body of Christ deal with each other. And I've mentioned that some offenses are matters of sin. And I'm willing to go out there and say most don't. Most are not matters of sin. Most often they are related to emotion, pride, misunderstanding, and so forth. And just because, and this is another hard one, just because someone feels wronged doesn't mean that they were wronged. Okay? Just because someone feels wronged it doesn't mean that they were wronged, but you can use that as a justification. Say, well, I didn't, nah, whatever offense you know, they took from me, well, they're just wrong. But a broken relationship is not pleasing to God, right? A broken relationship is not pleasing to God. He doesn't like that, regardless of who is at fault. God does not like broken relationships. Real sin, uh, commandment level wrongdoing, that kind of thing, is clearly more serious. But sin, or no sin, true reconciliation between parties, between those people involved, is what is pleasing to God, who opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, some practical stuff. I have four points for those who like lists. I have four points for those who are who find themselves to be offenders, the one who is offending others. The first is to seek reconciliation between yourself and God. The second, give up your need to control. Sounds familiar. The third, seek godly solutions. And the fourth, pursue humility. There's some similarities on both sides of the coin there, aren't there? Seek reconciliation between yourself and God. <clears throat> now, a lot of this would be for cases where sin or real injustice has been done. And I hope that that's clear and apparent to everyone. But there's all this other stuff out there, you know, all this emotion and pride and all this bad stuff that goes on and causes people to get all bent out of shape and not want to talk to each other and, you know, all those things that happen in a broken relationship. So seek reconciliation between yourself and God. Apply these as you deem appropriate. When you're right with God, all that self-justification and all that other stuff just kind of melts away. When you're right with God, it just kind of melts away. All that self-justification 
will block reconciliation. But it kind of goes away when you're right with God. So it's a good thing to do. And when we sin against one another, when we sin against one another, we're sinning against God. Okay? I think we know that. I think that's a pretty, you know, common factoid, if you will, in the church. Those who sin, sin against God, and it puts up this barrier between us and God. You know, we tend to go to Isaiah and... Um, you know, your sins have separated you from me. And we think, oh, yeah, you know, I wasn't keeping the Sabbath properly or I wasn't, you know, tithing. Um, I wasn't doing this or I wasn't doing that. Turn to First Peter 3, verse 7. Those things are serious matters. I don't, I'm not trying to um, <clears throat> make light of them. What I'm trying to do is kind of magnify this and say this applies to emotional issues as well as um, volitional things that we do that violate God's law. First uh, Peter three verse seven. You might wonder, what's he? What? what? Where is he going with this? It says, "Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect, as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Here's an example where. What I'm taking as just disrespect, having the wrong attitude towards another person, interferes with your relationship with God. That's what it's saying, I think, will hinder your prayers, causing problems between you and God. It's not talking about sin per se, although all these things have the potential to be sin, I suppose, but you get what I'm talking about. We're not talking about commandment breaking. It doesn't say adultery. That could be there, I don't know, but it's not saying that. It says respect. And if we refuse to acknowledge our wrongdoing, then we remain in conflict with our Creator. So, one of the things we need to do is in seeking to reconcile between ourselves and God is to take responsibility. Responsibility for what happened or what was said, and not try and blame other people. Because that's what we, what we like to do. Well, well therefore. Or to justify yourselves, but you know, well, that's just the way I am. I'm blunt. I'm honest. Painfully honest. Sorry, you have to feel the pain. Oh, you laugh because, you know, that's the way people are nowadays. Have you noticed that? I'm just honest. And you stink. Is that or is that not the way people project themselves so often nowadays? Well, I'm just being honest. There's, you know, we're getting down to the brass tacks. Uh, that really bugs me. I can't stand that. You might think I'm a hypocrite. No, not that I prefer dishonesty, but I just think of that as an excuse for being rude and offensive in many, many, many cases. Okay, personal pet peeve. Um, so we acknowledge our offense in prayer to God would be a good way. Uh, in words to other people would be another, another good way. So the second step to take. Give up the need to control. Ah, well, even the offender needs to give some stuff up. If you find that you're an offender and you want to make right, and you want to achieve peace and reconciliation, you also have to give up the need to control. Here's an example of where you as an offender seeking reconciliation can still try and control the situation. And if you've heard this before, raise your hand. Well, I was, I was wrong, but you shouldn't have done what you did. 
Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Well, I may have been wrong, but you started it. That is seeking to control, isn't it? Right. So we, we have to give up stuff like that because that is not the way to achieve reconciliation. Well, I may be dead wrong on this, but if you hadn't... Uh, I didn't see enough hands raised there, I'm telling you. <laughs> you guys are living in a bubble. <laughs> All right. Um, we acknowledge our offense and we ask for forgiveness. Pretty simple, straightforward, right? And we don't just say, I'm sorry. Show that we understand. Show that you understand what it is that you've done. Put a little meat on the bones, if you will. Um, so that they kind of get it. They know that you understand that you did really offend them. And, uh, you know, you might want to talk about motivation, uh, things that you were ignorant of, for, for example. Those might have been other things as well. Uh, you know, you need to be careful about that stuff because even, even I don't know all my, emotion, my mot- motivations. You know, we are like an onion. And we peel back layers and you find the real you somewhere down in there. And when you start to find it, you really cry. Anyway, just think about it. Make a real apology if you're the offender. Put some meat on the bones, but don't get weird about it. And just basically, when you take responsibility, consider the godly principle. And you read through the Pentateuch and you will see restitution is God's way. If you've wronged somebody, make it right. If you broke something, then replace it or repair it or whatever. That's God's way. You don't just say, well, I'm sorry I, sorry I smashed your car into the, uh, that you know, wall there. I just don't know what I was thinking. I must have just been so full of pride. You know. Anyway, see ya. Now, that's an extreme example, right? Think of it more on a small scale. If you've broken something, repair it, refix it. If you've stolen something, if you've, you repay, right? God's way is actually to repay even more, you know, but make restitution. In some situations it's appropriate, in others it's not, but you do what you can to make it right. The third would be, the third point, would be to seek godly solutions. Godly solutions, rather than the outcome that satisfies your own personal desires and expectations. And this is a lot, <laughs> this is a lot of repetition in here, but you know, it applies in many different ways. Seeking godly solutions. So you might want to start by listening to the other party's complaint. Well, find out, well, what exactly is the complaint rather than seeking to justify yourself, which is often what we will start to do. That would be a way of giving up. You know, we give up that need to self-justify, right? That's a more godly solution. That's a, our desire is to justify ourselves, to feel right about ourselves. But we have to give stuff up. Some options to consider. Um, you as the offender. So was I just ignorant? Or was I in a situation where ignorance abounds? It was just a general milieu of, I don't know. No one really knew what was going on and bad stuff happened. That, that kind of scenario, that comes up an awful lot. Was I being malicious? How must I take responsibility? Good questions to ask yourself. What lessons can I learn? Another good one. Am I being defensive? Am I protecting myself, my ego, my sense of you know who I am and 
how others will think of me and what this will mean for me. Am I angry? Is my hurt pride would be an example of anger that's just coming from within. You've hurt my pride, my sense of who I am. The fourth for the offender is to seek humility. Because pride is a the, if you, well, maybe, I'm sure there are others. Let's just say it's a really, really big obstacle to reconciliation. Pride. I hope that's been drawn out in what we've we've been talking about. It is very difficult to see ourselves as being in the wrong. It just is. It's really hard. Uh, The mind of the flesh has got a million and one ways to figure out how to do an end run around a situation to the point where, well, I was actually right. (laughs) You didn't see it, but I was. It's very difficult to see ourselves in the wrong. That takes humility because it threatens our very high opinion of ourselves. And, you know, our reflexive reaction is to protect ourselves. The mind of the flesh protects itself in, you know, body, mind, and spirit. To protect our uh, ego, pride, things like that. And we do this by blaming others, as I've mentioned. So humility begins by recognizing ourselves for what we are. Deeply flawed. we got a lot of problems. We're not unfixable. God is at work on us. But we are deeply flawed individuals who desperately need God's help. And he's willing to give it to us. And if we're going through the process, he is giving it to us. And if we ever want to achieve that great and eternal potential that God our Father has seen in us, we have to go with the program. And we can. You know, so we can be humble, but you know, with a glorious goal in mind, right? Forgiveness is essential to our eternal lives. It's essential to our eternal lives. It's a big deal. And I hope I've shown you that it's also really good for you, good for you on many levels, emotional, spiritual, relationship levels. It's only because of God's willingness to forgive that we have access and opportunity to become his children. So forgiveness is huge, huge. And it's only through God's willingness to forgive that we have the potential to receive the gift of eternal life. And forgiveness, well, beyond that, forgiveness is a way of thinking and acting that God wants you and me to learn and put into practice if we are to be his children. It's huge. Forgiveness restores peace with our Father, personal, emotional well-being, right relationships with others whom God has created in his own image. We seek peace We leave judgment to God. If we are offended, we seek peace. If we find that we have offended, we seek peace. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. 